the important thing is, and you've, you've kind of stressed this, is like try not to get overwhelmed by it and, and try not to like lose hope because there's, I think there there is going to be opportunity for creativity in all of this. And it could be really interesting to see how some of these things could solve for some of the really crappy stuff that happens today. Let's go. All right. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, John Loomer. So historically, we've used this time to talk about Facebook ads and um, how, you know, what the latest changes are that impact us as advanced Facebook advertisers. But as we know, there are some big things happening right now in the space of AI that impacts all of us. And as a result, that's going to be our topic once again today. I'm, I'm uh, Luke Elliott is joining us again today. Luke's a member of the team. Howdy, howdy. Um, yeah, yeah. So how you doing, Luke? Sorry, I was I had my little mute button on. I'm doing good. <laughs> Apparently learning my uh, my microphone setup. I don't know. It looks like it's not quite as sharp as yours. Yeah. So uh, you, you might have to help me out on, on explanation, but Luke's uh, more of a data nerd. I like to say that Actually, I've never said this before. I'm going to say it for the first time. I, I play a data nerd on TV, but Luke actually is one in real life. Because, uh, yeah, I, I often go to Luke with any of the, the data nerd stuff that I need help with. But how, how do you... How do you <laughs> <laughs> is there a better way to explain uh, your experience and knowledge and expertise on that? Yeah, I suppose uh, somewhere on along that spectrum, I'm far enough to also, like know all the stuff that I don't know and realize that there's a ton out in the world. But yeah, I've, I've got a, a history of working in um, digital analytics, in particular advertising analytics. Um, spent a lot of time actually running ads like like you, John, um, and kind of exist at that nexus of, of, of data and advertising and messaging and technology, which is why I love to talk about AI, because I think it's super relevant and super important to not only what we are doing today, but the the, the world in general. So I'm, I'm glad you're continuing to, to put this focus here because I think it's pretty, pretty daggone important. Glug, glug, glug. Yeah, well, I mean, we can't ignore it. Honestly, if you do ignore it, you're probably going to be in trouble. Um, and honestly, the, the latest announcements, I don't even know where to start with except to explain what happened. And I'll, I'll kind of allow you to do that because I feel like there's so many potential results of uh, a future of search that's powered by AI that could change everything. But we've got um, Bing and Google, which their product called Bard. I mean, what what can you tell us about that? I'll tell you, um, I'll try to not go too over the top of everybody, but... Um... Essentially, I think that the biggest thing that are that's important to know as like a general consumer of this stuff is the competitive space in the search landscape is really heating up and it's heating up very quickly in ways that I think um, have surprised a lot of folks who work in this space. And there are general implications, especially for SEO and folks who, who especially have a sites devoted to different types of content like yourself, and I'm sure you're going to talk about that. Yeah. But I think the big thing to, to sort of be aware of is that, um, so chat GPT, it's a big thing everybody's been talking about. Of course, we've talked about it in the past couple podcasts. That's owned by a company called OpenAI, and OpenAI is heavily backed by Microsoft. Microsoft owns Bing and is imminently going to launch a version of Bing that has chat GPT functionality connected to it. And so that's important because the way that the search interface will function is sort of in a lot, a lot more connected to if you're, if you've used a lot of, um, if you, if you use Google and you ask it questions, cause by the way, Google still has 90 north of 90% market share worldwide in terms of search market share. Um, but that's something we're going to watch, of course. Uh, mm. But if you've, if you've ever asked Google a question, you might be familiar with um, how sometimes Google will just give you the answer and not necessarily um, direct you to a website. Now, you could still get to information about maybe where that's sourced in some cases, depending on, on sort of the question you're asking. And so imagine that sort of functionality really blown out and much, much larger than it is today. 
and much more of a sort of long form answer in some cases, instead of just these like little short, short um, single liners or just saying, here's, here's right. the snippet, you know, from a, right. from a site that does that. And so that's important because Microsoft's launching of that is heavily influencing Google um, and how they're going to be launching what's called BARD. And if I explain it correctly, hopefully <laughs> BARD sits on top of um, a, a underlying uh, underlying AI system called Lambda. And um, mm. Google's, of course, the parent of all of that. And so th these, these, these two behemoths essentially are, are fighting back and forth. And there is a lot uh, writing on this for both companies. So I think we've also seen some interesting examples and you and I have kind of had some brief conversations about this, about how it looks like there's there's clearly a lot of internal pressure, especially on Google side. And it's even um, mm. one of the big headlines this week. And of course you can talk about it, but it, but it, it's sort of a little bit of a gaffe um, with, with Google doing a, a little bit of a preview video, or I think they called it a demo of, mm -hmm. of BARD. And there was this question about like James Webb telescope, James Webb space telescope, JWST, which by the way, I'm in love with that thing. <laughs> this is the back of my phone. That's the, nice. the uh, little uh, refracting mirror set up on the, the JWST. But the, the folks who were paying attention realized that one of the answers that was given in response to this question about JWST was actually wrong. Mm -hmm. And one of the, um, and of course, like that's what's that's happening, and that's happening with ChatGPT too. But it, but I think that the reason that I mentioned that and that it's important in the context of the pressure these companies are feeling is you. It just it seems like that would only happen in an environment where Google executives are like, we got to just get this message out, you know, and because you you think something like a really big important message like that was probably double, triple, quadruple checked under normal circumstances, and it might have been here too, and someone could have just missed it. Um, we're all human. But there was a pretty significant impact attributed um, to the to this to this activity that was on the stock price, mm -hmm. um, which those I always take those with a grain of salt too because there's a lot of things if you look at. Um, but but it was interesting because essentially Google lost a whole lot of stock um, price uh, yeah. equivalent, and then um, Microsoft went up at the same time. So people were were kind of saying, you know, oh, you know, is it the end? Of course, you know, whatever. But the, the 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 reason that I even mentioned that is aside from the big splashy headlines is is just is just it seems like there's a ton of um, competitive pressure really going on. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, that was probably way more than you were asking. Sorry. Oh man, <laughs> like, I I had a point and then I had another point. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just no, kept talking. I got oh. too into it. We're both the same way, so throw us in the same room. But no, I think um, a few things here. You know, in terms of the accuracy, the, the, the good thing to me, like, yes, it's a gaffe, but it's also reality, right? So um, we had Rachel Woods on a few weeks ago, and she's kind of like our AI expert that, that we go to. Um, she had a video, a, a few videos today. She's had hands-on now with at least uh, the, the new Bing, if not Bard, but I didn't think Bard was out, but her impression was these new search engines are more factual than the original ChatGPT, which had lots of issues, um, but still like, I mean, she just randomly said like 90% factual, which is still not <laughs> airtight by any means. But so that's also just one thing that we have to understand going in that you just can't trust everything it spits out as being true, um, even as it's getting better, which it's going to get better. Um, and I think no matter how airtight it is, people are going to dispute certain facts as we know today. Um, so that's that's one thing. But you're absolutely right about another in terms of trends, right? Um, Google has been going in this direction of zero click search for a while based on rich snippets Wait, is that which... your phrase is that your phrase somebody else no, it's oh i was like else. i like that i hadn't heard that yet no okay. <laughs> i'm not even sure where i heard it yeah i like that yeah i just remember that that really got my attention when they said it and it freaked me out because it is kind of freaky um so whoever said that my apologies um but We've been in this environment for a while, and honestly, I I have been, you know, I I've been kind of uncertain about using rich snippets on my website 
because of the implications of, oh, great, we're going to feed all this information to Google and not get anyone going to our websites. What the, why the hell would I do that? Um, and I guess the, what I, you know, example, an easy example with the current Google is I do this all the time. How old is X celebrity? Right. And you're going to get a very quick answer. Don't have to click on anything to, to go find out, you know, who, what that source is from or, or whatnot. Now that imagine that, but in something much more complicated, uh, you're just going to get answers. Now, Rachel had a demo video of Bing where, so you, you put in this usually kind of, kind of complex question. You get this complex answer that's in conversational tone, but like where sources are necessary, which was good. Um, they linked the words of the answer that would, at least the way that I interpreted it, that would go to the source. Um, certainly good. We don't know how much people are actually going to click that. Maybe they want some more context, so that would certainly be good. Um, but it still makes me super nervous as someone whose website and business has benefited from and ultimately really relied upon organic, we'll say Google, because that's what it's been, uh, Google referrals for years. Now, uh, it's, I actually dug this up the other day. It's more than 11 million sessions uh, resulting in more than 15, I think more than 17 million page views that came from Google search referrals. This is on your site, John Limmer. On, on, my, on my website. Now, the other thing is, and, and these things are, are not disconnected, um, and the fact that, you know, I'm not seeing the same results these days is I'm not getting the same referral traffic from Google either, which could be partly uh, due to the rich snippets and just the way people consume content generally. And just, you know, I, I honestly, I haven't seen numbers on search referrals, like how much that has changed over the years, if that has changed, but I'd be curious about that. So anyway, we're, we're heading in that direction anyway, but it freaks me out because I'm still at a good place. Like, I think most people would call me a whiner that I'm only getting a thousand plus referrals per day from Google, but that's a fraction of what it used to be. What if that ends up being a hundred or nothing as a result of this? That obviously is a big deal. So I'm, but the, the thing is we really don't know where this is going. It's just a matter of kind of what we project at this point. Cheers. Right. And, but, but I think it's, it's, you're making a really important point that you just, I mean, we, you should be thinking about this, right? So like you, you, we do have to think about the future of what content really even means and how it's consumed, which, I mean, you've already been making changes to kind of address some of those changes in behavior anyway, like all of your short firm video focus and there are obviously a lot of factors that inf that are influencing the way that content's consumed, whether it's short attention spans or, um, but but a lot of it's of course you know content delivery algorithms. And when people express interest in certain types of content, if your content's associated with that, you can be served up that within social media anyway. And and that I, I do kind of think about parallels as much as possible in this stuff. So so like. I was talking to somebody at lunch today about this actually so like i do i do genuinely think this is going to be as general general usage of ai and general involvement of ai in all of our lives is going to be as important as the invention of the internet um mm -hmm. and i was trying to think about like if it was more of a parallel to like when social media came out but i, I think it's actually when the internet came out it's going to be um that that revolutionary but the reason that i even think about like the social media launch is when, when social media sort of first came out um specifically facebook and in twitter um it was all of course just a um chronological right so it wasn't about like what type of content what you're interested in then then that's when everything sort of changed and you probably remember people doing protests about um don't change oh, yeah. my news feed you know uh don't let me follow what i want to follow all this kind of stuff every single news feed changed and there were a lot of them yeah <laughs> Bring well they used the to tell us when feed. they were going to do them Bring back the yeah. old Facebook. Like we don't really hear about old Facebook anymore, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Right. 
but it, but it, the, the what I think about in terms of par parallels there is like that behavioral change that had to happen for site content, like site content in order for it to still be discovered, it wasn't it wasn't really necessary. I mean, search was still a part of it, but what, what people were starting to do and that we've had bad stuff happen because of this, it was all about, you know, the clickbaity headlines. Right. And that was like how you get mm -hmm. people to attract to your site. And then the clickbaity stuff got rewarded in the content because it was getting the most interaction. And then of course, Facebook did all these changes to try to stop that as much as possible. But I, I'm but thinking about parallels to that, like um, to, to how con it, let's say search is no longer the way it is. I think it just, even makes it more important of how do you what's your content play in those other yeah. spaces because so much of it's going to be about okay you're still having that initial interest and so let's say in your case a short form video talking about topic x y or z and then that's where you say at the end of the video on my site i've got an article about blah 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 click here to to, to view it and that can still be the way that you get search traffic i'm sorry um web traffic right. without sort of relying on search that's sort of one piece of it the other piece, which I, I, I'm going to leave for us to talk about maybe later um, today, is is more about like the, the credit piece that comes to when you're feeding sort of what these search engines are, are feeding forward. But I'm just curious as to your thoughts of like what's on your mind in terms of content generation and like do you think that this means you will lean more into certain things? Are you not even really there yet? Are you kind of waiting to see how stuff will change? I'm, I'm, I'd like to hear wh where your mind is on that. Well, I, I think it's important, first of all, to be aware, but not necessarily make any drastic moves um, and just move all into, okay, I'm just going to abandon my website now, which would seem silly. Because um, as of right now, my referral traffic has been up compared to last year. So uh, I, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing for now and kind of watch those numbers. I think that's important to watch, see what's going on. But I'm also doing what I'm doing in terms of going where they're at, right? So doing this more than I've done in the past. This has always been kind of a marketing rule anyway, but it's become more important to you know, go to TikTok, go to Facebook and Instagram Reels, you know, podcasting, wherever you got to go. And I, I guess I would say this is kind of a new rule, to be honest with you, because it used to be find your platform and go there. I'm like, I'm starting to feel more and more. It's like you maybe diversify a little bit more than you used to, because uh, LinkedIn, I think, is important as well. So that's the first thing is like, yeah, I think it's really important to if if I can't if I can't necessarily depend upon long-term traffic getting sent to me um, organically, then I need to go where the audience is at. Um, and it's probably going to put more of an emphasis on ads as well, assuming those ads can actually be used for driving traffic um, uh, to, and to that impact. Because ultimately, I, I, I really wonder about the long-term prospects of the typical business uh updating regularly a website and like whether it's going to continue to make sense right and you, when you say ads in that context you mean social ads yeah yeah yeah, yeah and that, that... not search ads i guess right. i don't know what that's going to look like well and, and honestly that is yeah. the other thing i want to talk about unless you had something you want to, you want to mention real no, quick. no no i mean they're, they're, i'm sure we'll jump around so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this, this whole thing kind of makes my brain hurt a little bit because so on one hand, um, yes, it's better for the user if you ask a question or a series of questions and you get the answers and this conversational tone and they never leave Bard or Bing or whatever. Um, that's better for the user. Ultimately, that's not necessarily better for Bing or Google, though, either, because what, how are they going to monetize those things? Typically, it's been with those links, you know, that go to our websites because, you know, organic does well. So you've got motivation and then um, pay to put your links at the top. And if people are just ignoring those links, what are they going to do? So that, that was one thing. Um, and it doesn't mean that they have to. Like, they'll find another way. I don't know what it's going to be. But um, that also takes me, though, to like what I was saying is like, if all of a sudden we're not getting any organic referral 
uh, to our website. I'll just say for my own. If all of a sudden that disappears and I'm just getting a trickle of traffic, what's going to motivate me to update on a regular basis? Because right now there's been lots of motivation because I know the more I create and establish my authority, people are going to find me and primarily because of Google. So if that's no longer going to happen, what, why should I keep updating my, my website? Um, I can establish my authority just by doing the videos and stuff. But if I stop updating my website, that's also the data that feeds the AI to answer these questions. I mean, does this feel like some sort of endless cycle that could create problems? <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. And, and I think it's also like there, there are other angles of that, that, I mean, you could argue, and maybe this is kind of what you're getting at too. It, it actually can hurt the engines in some cases, because like, especially if you think of, well, not, not the engine, but the parent company. So Google, for example, having their own display network that's mm -hmm. based on all of these different sites getting traffic. The thing is, Google might say, well, we'd actually just prefer to just have it on our, uh, on, on Google anyway. But, um, but, but th that's almost like you're going to be taking from one hand uh, to do that. Cheers. At the same time, what I'm really curious about, like in your example, the number one search for your, for your, that drives a lot of your traffic, I imagine, or top five is going to include John Loomer. Um, because people are looking for you and then they're getting your site served up in search results and so then they're clicking it. And so they they might not know your URL. So that's like just what they're looking for, right? And so like in an example like that is like businesses like yours where it's really based on the, the name of your service essentially is gonna still be really important and then in terms of actually getting traffic. But would there be a scenario where someone is asking, well, what does John Loomer think about this topic? If you, if the, the AI has access to your site's content, would it just serve them the answer without actually taking them to your site? And I don't know, like I haven't had, of course, like access to these things to test that, but I'm really curious about that because if it does, I think it's a very different type of argument mm -hmm. that really leans into um, where, where attribution and giving credit to source is like critically important. And then in that case, we're not talking about just credit. I mean, really the credit you need is the site traffic. Like it shouldn't be able to just scrape everything. And I think that this sort of, yeah, you look like you have thoughts. So I, I, yeah. I'm going to stop because I'll, I'll go off on a whole other tangent if I don't stop. So yeah, what you thinking? Well, once you said that, that actually, that's something I'd never really thought of before is a situation where it's like, someone puts in, what does John Loomer think about X? And on one hand, sure, I want that traffic. But on the other hand, it can only give an answer if I update my website with what I think about X, right? And I want Google or Bing, whatever, to provide an answer regarding what I think about that. So even if it doesn't drive the traffic, I don't want it just to say, I don't know who John Loomer is and he hasn't said, you know, what he thinks about this. I want them to be able to say something. Um, so that's honestly a way that I have not looked at the potential value of zero click searches um, in the past and, and reason to keep updating the site would be for that reason. Yeah. I think you're going to get a, lot, a big range of opinions from site owners on their preferences for that. But it's sort of like even when we think about the the short form video you've been doing, like a lot of that's about bringing the content as close as possible to where it can be consumed as easily and quickly as possible and efficiently as possible. Right. And I think there's an argument to be made that this stuff could actually help if this site or sorry, if this service, AI, whatever it may be, is more able to efficiently get someone the answer from your site than if they were searching directly on your site using sort of, I'll call it traditional search techniques. You could argue maybe that actually could help you, you know? And in some cases, like what I've seen is, especially for more of these like niche topics that are maybe a bit more specialized, I could do a very general search about something related to Facebook ads. And, um, 
or it could do a very specific one. And in both of those cases, and in many scenarios, I'm going to honestly have to sift through a lot of junk. And it sort of is dependent on the quality of my search and also the quality of the content that's out there. There is a possibility that higher quality content that's better organized in a way that AI could sort through more efficiently could actually help certain types of content producers, depending on how it comes to life. I think it's all going to be a balance, right, of like, what does that look like in terms of someone like you saying, I want, I'm okay with this being more zero click, because then they're going to see I'm the authority on this. I've got mm -hmm. the information they're looking for. The question becomes, how often are they going to know that was John Loomer and not somebody else or right. some aggregation of different things? And we, do, we don't know that yet based on sort of what's, what's been publicly available anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like some stuff is just starting to click for me. <laughs> so like I also compare it to if you're an expert in some field and you're interviewed by CNN or the times or something like that, even if they don't say, Hey, go to johnloomer.com saying, expert in this field, John Loomer said X helps your brand or kind of, kind of for the same reasons that, you know, I'm creating videos on TikTok and reels and everything else and not trying to drive traffic. I feel like I'm creating content for those sites, just like my content on my site site creates content for that search engine, potentially, if it doesn't, even if it doesn't drive traffic, which could still be mutually beneficial as long as my name is mentioned at least attribution yeah yeah the attribution even if it doesn't include a link uh, i'm not saying i don't want the link i want it but right. if, if we're realistic and we don't think people are going to typically click on them then who cares whether there's a link or not um so suddenly it's starting to come together a little bit more for me why you know if it if it works that way and I mean, I feel like there are a million ideas swimming. Like, imagine this, if this AI, the data that's fed isn't just like our websites, but, and this might be happening anyway, but like every podcast I've done, either I've hosted or shows I've been on, and it can index all the, jo the John Loomer quotes, thing things I said, all the videos that I did on TikTok and elsewhere and all my blog posts and then ask, you know, what does John, John Loomer think about this? And to be easy, to easily be able to respond to that, especially with recency being important. I mean, that sounds pretty amazing to me. Yeah. And then you can just say, what did I say about that? In case you forget. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Absolutely good. Yeah. Cheers. I don't know. I feel like I'm going on a weird, uh, you know, a d different world where I don't even know if any of that's possible, but um, it sounds like something that AI could do. Well, I mean, anything that's that's in text form currently, I think the, the limitations are just like, especially for, for podcast content, if it's been transcripted, transcribed um, into a form that's indexable or searchable by that, that uh, by that engine, essentially. But and that's a little bit of a, a segue into something that I've been thinking about on, in terms of, um, this 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 kind of content indexing piece because as it stands today um and this is i don't think this is too nerdy I'll, uh, it's, like, it's okay uh but i mean so you, you you've got a site right and you basically can tell google what to index or not based on some different things you can put it's usually in your bots.txt file whatever or some other index tagging so you can kind of already control what you're giving google access to um and in theory you should be able to also do that for what you're giving some of these database systems that are driving these AI systems to give them permission, you know, to, to what they can use. Now, I think we're we're kind of in this gray area right now, and this is definitely happening in the visual art stuff, is whether people have said, you have my permission to use this or not, right? right. So I think one of the big ones was like mid-journey and accessing stuff from some different... Um, different art websites and so at some point uh, and I think we talked about this in our very first conversation about it I do wonder if there is a model that looks at sort of like what a display ad, ad network looks like 
right now where if you give it permission to have a placement, you know, whatever, however many pixels by however many pixels on your site, every time you get an ad served, you're going to get some, you know, tiny, tiny fraction of a cent at credit for that. Could there also be a model where if you are opting into the database, there's ad dollars that are kind of sitting on top of that when let's say it's Google, right? And then you say, Google, yes, you can use my stuff for BART or Lambda. Um, that's that's feeding it. And I want some credit, right? And so mm -hmm. then what maybe what, what they do is they create some sort of a model to where depending on how often your content's referenced and how much of it and how significantly it drives um, different responses and how much traffic is actually extracting those responses you could maybe get some ad dollars for that. And I wonder if these organizations are, are already planning that. I have not seen anything um, that would indicate that, but I, I've just been still thinking about like, to, and this is all, all the way going back to a point you made about 15 minutes ago about how like, what's your incentive to keep creating content, right? Like what is, mm -hmm. what's, why would you keep doing that if it's just, you never get anything for it? I mean, some people are just, going to want to share their opinions and thoughts and ideas and they're really excited and interested and some people have businesses and some people are somewhere between those two right, right. so it's like how would you make that work and that's that's one model i don't think it's necessarily the only one but it, it's like one that i was thinking about some parallels to the way some of that stuff exists today that could be possible so first question i'll ask you is does that model make sense yeah. and then if so would you be willing to kind of participate it in it in that way yeah i mean i, I think you have to be open-minded about anything right now um i think so so whether or not this means um you know we'll participate in this way and create content on the on the website that will be used i also wonder if generally like if we end up with this cycle where less website content is created couldn't they just lean heavily on social media content at that point? Well, the way it stands today um, is uh, the the social media channels have it pretty locked down in a lot of hmm. cases. It's not not especially Facebook. Um, you know, after especially after all the does anybody remember Cambridge Analytica um, yeah. and then all the stuff that 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 happened? But it's interesting because like Twitter's not like that necessarily. Like you can still uh, potentially get access to what they call the fire hose, which is all content posted, and so. Yeah, I mean, you could theoretically have an environment that where all of that stuff is feeding in. And I, I feel like we've even seen some of these little... Maybe we opt into that, right? As creators, right? Kind of like what you're saying. It's exactly. like, I'm going to give you uh, all of my social media accounts. I'm going to give you my link to, uh, to my podcast, YouTube, whatever, my website. That's where I was kind of going with how powerful that could be. Where like, what does John think about X? And not only have a quote, be able to immediately pull the video snippet or audio snippet from the podcast that could then lead you to those things and participate in those more often. Yeah. Cause sometimes people ask you questions and the answer might be spread across five articles, right? you know, and then it's like, depending on what they're asking too. Cause a lot of times we have to kind of make a guess, um, especially if, if folks don't really understand the full context, I remember this happened big time when all the changes related to iOS 14 were rolling out, right? Like people would ask this one very specific question and then you're like, oh, have you configured your, your prioritized events? Mm. Have you pr yeah. verified your domain? Have you shared, you know, all these different things? And that's like a scenario that I think this kind of stuff could be really valuable. And I've seen ChatGPT kind of do that. Um, ChatGPT almost seems to have a little bit of a bias towards not, not assuming um, directly that it understands the full context. So it will sometimes say, here's what you could be asking about. And mm -hmm. if that's so, then here's what, and it's like, so the systems sort of lend themselves to that sort of a, a framework anyway. And then if you combine that with somebody like you who has, I mean, how many articles do you have in your site now? So it's over 1100. Yeah. I mean, there's, and there's so, and so much stuff in all of those that the way it works today is it's it's pretty reliant on on people finding a um, people having a good Google search to you know link to whatever and I know you do different things to prioritize content for certain topics and all that kind of stuff but but a system like this it almost makes some of that like less important you know and it's like it's kind of interesting because in theory you know if you were 
depending on the way your site is structured, you could even kind of have like a stream of consciousness about a bunch of different things. And it doesn't necessarily have to be really well organized because the AI is going to do that for you. And then you could even like, you know, I'm sure that we're going to see products coming out where that's exactly what the product is intended to do. So you say, here's my stream of consciousness. Can you help me organize a website around this stuff? And then it would do that, you know? So like, there are a lot of implications when it comes to just content. I know I'm kind of getting off the, mm -hmm. the topic of um, uh, of attribution. Cheers. The, the way SEO kind of works right now is, is you have to decide, am I going to be like, am I going to make a lot of content for this really large topic that a whole lot of people are talking about, that it's really popular, it gets tons of searches, but it's really competitive and maybe I won't really get indexed for that. So it doesn't, maybe it doesn't work, whatever. And then you've got like the, the other end of the spectrum, which is like, I have this really one specific thing I'm going to talk about. And this is my niche. And I know it's not high volume necessarily, but it's, I, I really am, can make great content that's specifically related to that. So I know I'll rank well. And I think what, what could be really interesting about if some of these systems come out and start doing some of this stuff the way they could, it could actually flop that model on its head a little bit because the really broad stuff, people are going to be like, well, I'm not going to write about that anymore because there's already a ton of content and it may never use mine. And then depending on how this attribution works, maybe it uses just one word or a phrase from my site combined with 8,000 other sites. Whereas if maybe if I go really niche and specific, what could happen is again, if it depending on if this this these systems will will use just one site's content or not, or what it would do is say, we don't have a good answer, but here's a site that seems like it talks about that. Click here, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. You could actually see a model where some of that starts to push towards specialization instead instead of generalization, which is I mean, it's always been a, a back and forth in SEO anyway, but I, I do wonder what that would do for the overall content realm and ecosystem. I don't know. I, I'm honestly curious what SEOs are thinking, period, right now, beyond just being scared and defensive. Uh, because it's like, we're, it's, there's so much unknown. I think that's the main thing. We just don't know what this is going to result in. So what is SEO six months from now or a year from now? I don't know if anyone can really even answer that. Well, the thing about the the field, I think, is they've like folks who are really into it have always been had to adapt over time because like yeah. e even in the in the beginning and you, you still got this this concept of black hat SEO, which is like doing stuff that you're not supposed to. But in the beginning, um, even before we had this these ideas of, of real rules, it was just, OK, cram a ton of words that are, are onto yeah. this site as many as possible. Right. And then it was like that way you'll get ranked. And you then, of course, we started having all these quality signals and and all that stuff. Um, but, but I think I, I, so I think my point there is that I think these folks have already had to know that the tomorrow is never really necessarily guaranteed to be the same as before that said, I think this is a huge disruption, uh, yeah. potentially and potentially the largest that will ever have been faced by the industry. So yeah, but, but I think like that, that's, that's going to be in a lot of industries with oh, yeah. this AI stuff, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, the important thing is, I think, and you've, you've kind of stressed this is like, try not to get overwhelmed by it and, <laughs> and try not to like it's lose really hope because there's, I think there, there is going to be opportunity for creativity and all of this. And it could be really interesting to see how some of these things could solve for some of the really crappy stuff that happens today. At the same time, I mean, there's just always there's always a dark side and a bright side to right. it, you know. Yeah, I, I think the difficulty about where we're at right now, where it's just the very beginning of something big, but we don't really know where it's going, is projecting where it's going because we always use the, the context of his, you know, what's happened in the past to try to frame how we think things are going to go in the future. So we envision a world where there are still click link clicks and driving traffic to our websites and that Google and Bing are going to monetize based, based on those clicks and on display ads and things like that. There could be something completely different that we haven't even thought of, but the main thing is we just have to be paying attention. I mean, anyone who's paying attention right now is ahead of 95% of the people out there. Um, most of us aren't experts in this. So just 
kind of having an idea what's going on, you'll be ahead of everybody else. Well, and I think, I mean, like you just said, most people aren't experts and there's an opportunity to jump on this now and like try to develop your skills as much as possible. Sort of, sort of like I think folks did in the early days of Facebook, um, like yourself, you know, kind of like say, I'm willing to jump in, I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to test. And that already put you ahead of a lot of folks just because they were intimidated by it or they think it's a fad or whatever. I mean, I can tell you this AI stuff's not a fad. <laughs> uh, it's very clear to me that this is not, you know, this is not going to go away tomorrow. Are, are people going to say that AI is going to go the way of MySpace? That's what everybody <laughs> said about Facebook for, That's for right. a decade. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. Bottoms up. So I, I really like um, MIT Technology Review. It's a nice, um, nice publication. If, if, just a re general recommendation. They just have really interesting content, but they they did have an article, um, and it was it was titled "Chat GPT is Everywhere." Here's where it came from, and I thought it was just kind of an interesting perspective because they broke it down into pretty simple terms of of like the the what led to how we got to Chat GPT and, and sort of the timeline stuff. And so I'll just kind of quickly take you through it. Um, yeah. So it says in the 80s and 90s, we had something called recurrent neural networks. And by the way, I'm completely par paraphrasing every everything here. So you can go read the article if you want to see in detail. But essentially, it was about um, kind of these these language models that are trained on lots of text and the way that they uh, it's kind of like trying to think like a, inspired by the way brains work and that. Um, they were invented in the 80s. They could handle sequences of words, but they were slow to train. They would forget words in a sequence. And it kind of was just trying to improve upon that. And then in 1997, there it says, um, and I'm going to completely mispronounce their names, but it says computer scientist Sepp Hockreiter and Jürgen Schmidhuber hmm. fixed this by inventing LSTM, which is long short-term memory networks. And it allowed um, past data that was in an input sequence to be retained for longer. And it could also handle strings of text that were much longer, several hundred words long. But it, the, the limitation that was at that time was language skills were limited. So that was 1997. So we had sort of 80s to 97. Then nothing is on their timeline, which I'm sure lots was happening. And this mm. really frustrated a lot of computer scientists until 2017. So that's 20 year span, right? And then it talks about this, this breakthrough, which actually came from a team of Google researchers where they invented something called transformers, which is a kind of neural network that can track where each word or phrase appears in a sentence. And so they give an example. It says, um, hot dog means very different things in the sentences. Hot dog should be given plenty of water hmm. and hot dog should be eaten with mustard, which I, I really appreciated that because um, I've done a lot of work in social listening. And like that is exactly like that gives me nightmares because anytime you have something that is used in multiple instances yeah. like that, you have to use all these really manual methods to clean it up. But AI is making obviously a lot of that um, easier now. And then it goes to 2018 and 2019, um, where we had GPT and GPT-2. So I think the big thing to notice there is there's only one year difference between mm -hmm. those two. First two language models came just a few months apart. Um, and so then that was kind of this new thing about um, GPT. It said that like the innovation was it combined transformers. So a transformers, again, about that kind of contextual language thing with an unsupervised learning. We talked about unsupervised learning a little bit when we were talking to Rachel. But um, it, the, the way they explain it here is it's a way to train a machine learning model, um, in this case, on lots and lots of text that hasn't been annotated beforehand. So it lets the, the software figure out patterns in the data by itself without having to be told what it's looking at. So that's why it's also like when we talk about how much data GPT-3 was trained on, it's because it's like able, able to kind of do some of this itself without humans necessarily being having to be in there. So then this was just 2018, 2019. Then we're in 2020. Um, and then we had GPT-3, and it um, and th their their thing said GPT-3 made jaws drop. Mm -hmm. it, it was ability had ability to generate human-like text, and that was kind of the first time it could do this. It could answer questions, summarize documents, generate stories in different styles, translate between English, French, Spanish, Japanese, and more. Sound familiar, right? That's that's kind of exactly what um, GP when we think of Chat GPT, because remember again, Chat GPT is run on top of GPT-3. Mm -hmm. And then it gave a stat here, which I thought was pretty interesting. So it says um, GPT-3 has 175 billion parameters. And those are parameters are the values in a network that are adjusted dur during training. 
So it's 175, 175 billion. GPT-2 had 1.5. So it was kind of illustrating why it was so much more of an advancement. Again, that was just, we're talking 2020 versus 2019. So uh, then it kind of goes forward into how we got from 2020 to now. And it was talking, by the way, they also highlight a lot of issues which it, with, with the original GPT-3 about biases and it, how it was trained on the internet and the internet is kind of a toxic place. So yeah. it had a lot of that toxicity and that was what a lot of what they were trying to, to kind of clean out um, until we got, you know, forward, forward, forward. There was some stuff in 2022, early 2022, a couple of other models. And we get to this thing in December 2022 for chat GPT. And the reason that I wanted to bring all of that up was um, to, to kind of highlight how quickly this has begun moving in very recent years. And mm. And because I think one of the things I keep running into with everybody is like, people are like, yeah, but it's not perfect. And it's right. it's like, it's not perfect today. But like we, we, and when you're talking business strategies, I mean, normally these are several years out. This stuff is going to look very different several years out. And like, no one's really like ready for that. Mm -hmm. um, I think. I, I am also kind of, as I've been reading through these things, countering it with what Rachel was telling us, um, where she was like, you know, she, she kept saying, we're very early, we're yeah. very early. And I think that that's an important perspective too, but it's also like very early can mean like there's nowhere for it to go, but but kind of straight up, right? right. And so it's like, it's kind of crazy just to think about that. And that was more just like an interesting thing to talk through. I know it was a lot of information and sorry if anybody got bored with it, but, um, but it's just, it was, uh, cause I, I think this theme of like how fast this stuff is moving keeps coming up. And that helped me kind of understand a little bit of what was happening behind the scenes on all of these different things. What's the timeline on GT, GTP four or GPT four? I, I, I keep doing that. GPT four. Um, I don't think it's been officially announced the last I saw. Uh, yeah, so Google's top search result says the New York Times reported that GPT-4 is expected to be released in the first quarter of 2023. So imminently, Soon, right? Yeah. And I did see some, so about that like 175 billion versus the 1.5. Yeah. There is a reference in here about um, that I was reading about GPT-4 not really like it's not going to be as extreme of a difference. It's more about differences in capability rather than just the amount of data it's using. Because I think that we're, we're now at this, this there's so much information in it. It's not really about the amount of information it's access to, right? Yeah. It's about its ability to um, use that efficiently, effectively, without bias, understand intent, all of the other things that are more about how you use the data. And so that, but that's not necessarily going to be as extreme of a jump, but, um, but it is going to be interesting to see what happens with, with that. And hopefully, hopefully, accuracy is part of that too. Uh, I, I think that's the one of the most exciting things about this is if we get to the point where there's less uh, debate about black and white facts that we could just get an answer to. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if that's that's dream world or not. <laughs> GTP seventeen or whatever. GPT. Or GTP. Yeah. GT. Did I say G GTP again? It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm even like consciously trying not to say GTP. Yeah, I know. It's like it needs a better it needs a better name. It's uh, oh, impossible man. for people to consistently say correctly. It's <laughs> crazy. But and I have seen also in some of these articles, um, th there's a OpenAI CEO. I think his name is I know his last name's Altman. I think it's yeah Sam yeah, Altman. Sam Altman. Um, yeah. He has been saying like there's a ton of rumor stuff out there and a lot of mm -hmm. the things that you're going to see even from supposed like experts in different circles is just not correct in terms of like what's coming. Um, and it's 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 he's just basically saying there's a ton of hype around it. So I think like that's the other thing to think about is like everything's going to be with a grain of salt, especially if you read something. And, we, you know, we run into this with Facebook ads world all the time. We'll hear people say, oh, you know, I heard from it from someone at Facebook that some right. features going away and it's like until it's in writing we won't believe yeah. it so I, I think that that's that's kind of a similar similar mindset set here i just had one one more thing i won't go too long yeah um it's kind of along the timeline piece yeah. uh but i was just thinking about this like ai kind of going mainstream thing and so so another fun stat um and this is from uh Reuters, this talk about not knowing how to pronounce something. Reuters, Reuters, 
Reuters? The Reuters? Uh, I should know I that. As but... good as mine. I, 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 I think I've always said Reuters, but I, uh, it could be wrong. I'll ask ChatGPT how to pronounce it. Um, yeah, exactly. But <laughs> so uh, the 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 actual website uh, interface of ChatGPT it was estimated to have reached a hundred million monthly active users in January. So that was mm -hmm. two months after it launched, and so that makes it officially the fastest growing consumer application in history. Wow. Um, and this was a UBS study that they they had quoted. What we haven't talked about here is Google's Bard. So they already have an established user base. Um, so SEMrush has a blog where they kind of track some of this. So Google's um, stats, uh, th these are actually kind of old stats from, I think it was April, 2021. Uh, it said 3.5 billion users in April, 2021, um, unique on Google. Hmm. So you talk about that and if, if you know AI becomes more commonplace in this BARD interface, Again, Google has north of 90% search engine market share globally. There's nothing more mainstream than that, you know? And that's right. like, um, that's just just another concept of, of like for, I don't think we'll have necessarily a lot of naysayers or whatever listening to this, but if you haven't been convinced to pay attention to this stuff yet, I hope that at least convinces you to pay attention to this stuff. And I think John's gonna keep covering this in future d different forms, whether on his TikTok, his LinkedIn, his Facebook, his Instagram, anything else? Twitter? Do you do anything? No, I'm not on Twitter anymore. But right. <laughs> like, uh, did you say LinkedIn and YouTube and? Oh, I forgot YouTube. Yeah. Obviously here. And your website. Don't forget that. <laughs> and the and your website. email list. Yeah. So. And the email list <laughs> so... and the community. Yeah. That's right. Well, thanks so much uh, for joining me again, Luke. Um, yeah, I think we'll probably have to make this uh, a regular thing, as long as uh, AI and ChatGPT and bard and everything else is is a thing or are a thing which i think is going to be a while so thank you all for joining us i mean if you have any comments any feedback anything you want us to cover regarding this maybe some cool use cases that you have with, with ai you want to share drop us a line actually the best place would probably be info at johnloomer.com because it could be luke it could be me that ends up getting that message uh, but otherwise you reach me anywhere all right thanks again everybody until next time do awesome things i'm out